You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. Artists are disruptors. They do things that don't always, you know, follow the mainstream. And being able to think like that creatively, whatever your field might be, if, if you can think like an artist and a designer, then it makes you more resourceful in your whatever your career path is. The artists that change the world are good at disrupting and collaborating. I think that the kernels of our passions can emerge very early, but I think that anybody at any time can set a dream for themselves and go down the path to follow it. So I was very lucky in having that passion emerge so early. Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, Mac Page, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 201, Milltown Creativity, airing for the first time on Sunday, July 19, 2015. Maine's industrial mills have employed multiple generations of families through the manufacturing of products such as paper, shoes, and textiles. Although many are no longer used in that capacity, they are experiencing a rebirth and once again becoming centers of creativity and commerce. Today, we explore this subject with Biddeford Mill aficionados Tammy Ackerman, co-founder of the community arts organization Engine Inc., and Angel Rocks founder and fashion designer Roxy Sugar. Thank you for joining us. I've spent a considerable amount of time in Biddeford, being that um, half of my family is from that area, and this individual that is across the microphone from me today has also spent a considerable amount of time in Biddeford, probably more more than me, honestly. This is Tammy Ackerman. She's the co-founder and executive director of Engine Incorporated, a community arts organization based in Biddeford. She has served as the board president for the Heart of Biddeford, a Main Street, Maine organization, and she has lived in Maine for nine years. Thanks so much for coming in and also for doing all this great stuff in Biddeford. Oh, thanks for having me. Tammy, where'd you come from? Well, originally, um, I'm a South Dakotan, uh, one of the few that have left the state, I think. Um, But then most recently, before I came to Maine, I was in Nevada for 10 years in Reno. So why Maine? That seems like kind of a a disparate mix of states. (laughs) Um, they're not dissimilar um, by any means. You know, there's there's a lot of similarities between like the geographic disparity and everything, population. Um, but why Maine? Um, that is the most frequently asked question for me. Um, it was sort of a bit of a dart throw, to be quite honest. Um, I'd never really spent any time in New England and specifically Maine before coming here. But um, 
It was a, a desire for some change. You know, um, when I left Nevada, when I was thinking about leaving Nevada, the housing market was at its height, and I was kind of I was living on the fringe, you know, on the on the perimeter of Reno, and I really wanted to live in a historic downtown or a downtown that had some character, and realized quickly that downtown Reno was just untouchable. Um, little one thousand foot bungalows were going for four hundred thousand dollars, you know, at that time. I mean, this is at the height of the housing bubble, right? So um, my then partner and I at the time um, decided to take a trip around the country and start looking for a different community. And we started out in Nevada, went up through Canada and dropped down through Vermont and Maine. And ironically enough, um, I drove through Biddeford and wanted to go to the... Uh, the old Rennie's department store that was on Main Street because my partner was a um, big fan of Carhartts and liked the Rennie's store. So um, I got my first glimpse of Biddeford and its um, its mills and was just blown away by the architecture. Well, that that's interesting. And is Rennie still in Biddeford, by the way? They are not. They moved to Saco for more parking. Oh, okay. All right. So it's interesting that Rennie's would bring you <laughs> bring you into the Biddeford area, but but that somehow there was something about Biddeford that kind of that kept you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what kept me there, if um, if I might, is the the heart of Biddeford actually, um, the Main Street organization, which you mentioned in my bio. Um, there's a really great group of people working to revitalize downtown Biddeford, and they just they put out a, a like an all you know all hands on deck campaign to recruit me when I when I showed up there, and I just I got involved from day one, um, volunteering in the downtown area and you know working on the design committee of the Heart of Biddeford, so kind of taking a look at you know the parks and the storefronts and things like that, um, and I just haven't turned back since that day. What is your background? Um, in art and graphic design. So I'm a visual person, and, and I like architecture. I wanted to be an architect, but I kind of chickened out when I was in college. So um, turned to graphic design as a career, which I was doing um, pretty much up until last year in addition to Engine, but Engine has decided to take all my time. <laughs> well, I think that's it's actually not the worst thing to be taking your time because it no. seems like all of the things that you've done are so creative in nature mm-hmm. and Engine is a very creative organization. For people who aren't familiar, describe it. Well, Engine is a, um, a little bit of a hybrid, but we call it a community arts organization because we're based and embedded in the community. But um, we focus on attracting creative people into the downtown area, specifically to show them, just like I, you know, was, um, I became aware of how beautiful the downtown is or could be. Um, and so the, the gallery acts as an attractor in that respect. And it also supports the arts community. So we, you know, we, we mostly focus on emerging artists and early career artists for the most part. Um, and then the, the back end of the space, physically anyway, is our arts education piece. And so that is there to serve the community and specifically youth. Um, so we act in two different ways there as a, an asset to the community, but also an attractor for economic and community development. And then outside of what happens, you know, within our own space, we um, coordinate the monthly art walk. Um, we're working on a public art program. We're part of the, um, the city's comprehensive planning committee because I really think the arts should have a voice at the table, politically speaking, and um, in planning. Um, so that's kind of what we are. I, I would say if I had to compare it to something that people know in Portland, we're a combination of Creative Portland, Space Gallery, and maybe a little tiny bit aspirational to Mecca, but in our, our specific area. 
I'm assuming that it helps people who are creative to um, have associations with other individuals who are creative, specifically in places like Biddeford, which are um, rising up and reimagining themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the community piece is the biggest piece for me. It's, you know, we put on really nice shows and we, we do a great job with the gallery and that kind of thing, but it's really about people coming into that space and meeting people that they would have never met before or you know someone who's not familiar with art um, or a little intimidated by it to be able to have a conversation around what what it's all about and it's really the social and community aspect that's the most important thing to me and I don't mean to downplay the other pieces of what we do but it's community building. Well tell me about some of your artists. Well uh, let's see we've shown a whole gamut of, um, of artists from Lauren Fensterstock, who she hasn't had a solo show there, maybe she will someday, um, but she's been part of a couple group shows. Um, and so she's probably, you know, one of the more well-known artists, at least in the Portland area, um, all the way to a community show where it's an open call, free-for-all kind of thing that, you know, everybody and their kid and their grandma can participate in. And it, it's so um, well-received. And we had over 150 pieces this year that we just we didn't have any more wall space at all. Um, and so, you know, we're not really carving out a, a name for ourselves in terms of the, you know, the specific kind of artists that we show. We try to have a broad appeal and um, reach both ends of the spectrum in terms of the, the kind of art. And what about the educational programs that you run? Our focus there has been moving toward the design-related fields because, number one, that's my background, but I'm not trying to impose my own um, you know, uh, perspective on it necessarily. But I do feel that uh, art is valuable. I mean, it's just art education is valuable no matter what. I don't, I don't argue that point at all. But design is something more accessible for people, um, meaning graphic design, video game design, um, 3D design, architecture, you know, things like that that lead to career paths is really where we're hoping to focus our attention, you know, how to build a website, you know, and make it look good, not just have a website. But um, so the applied arts, I guess, is really the focus. And have you had some that have been more popular than others? Um, Anything to do with 3D printing and and design tends to be the most popular. Um, And then after school, kids programming just in general, um, but with a maker focus. So not just, you know, we're going to have a, not just, I don't mean to downplay that, but it's not just focused on the arts and crafts side of it, but let's make and let's integrate, you know, some technology and let's integrate some math and that whole STEM kind of focus that's in education right now. Um, we're trying to make it steam, you know, by putting that A in the equation. And and the A can be a little tricky for some people that don't necessarily think the arts are valuable, but we can't make a good acronym of putting a D in there for design. So I guess it could be steamed. Um, but the, the D is really what a lot of people can relate to because these are careers that people understand. And sometimes, you know, the poor artists get kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, that's not a good career path. It is a good career path. You just have to reframe the way people think about it. That's a really good point. I, I know that when... Um my daughter said that she wanted to be an art history major, for example, which requires some studio art. There were various people who said, well, what are you going to do with that major? Right. And I said, 
I said, Abby, just do what you love because yeah. something will come of that. And that's really the important thing where we've gotten very focused on something that leads to something. Well, sometimes something leads somewhere and then somewhere mm-hmm. else and then somewhere else. And, and I think what you're describing is, yeah, there are other things that are out there that aren't just straight path. Right. I mean, if I knew when I was 18, you know, going into college to be an artist, that I would be the director of an arts organization and an arts administrator writing grants and all this good stuff, you know, I would have never thought about that as a career path. And it took me a long time to get there, but I'm glad I did. You also live in that area. You yeah. live in Biddeford Saco area. Mm-hmm. How does that match up to growing up in yeah. South Dakota? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of... Um, just sort of the, the architecture of place. Um, I grew up in a town that had a great downtown, and we spent a lot of time there. Um, our monolithic you know, pieces of architecture were grain silos. And when I saw the mills here, you know, it's like, oh, this is the same industry. Well, it's an industry, you know, just a different manifestation of it. Um, I've always been a fan of like these great you know, pieces of architecture in the world. And um, South Dakota is a similar state to Maine in that it's very rural. It's a lot of poverty. Um, there's only a few city centers to speak of, really. Um, I grew up in one of the three, which was a town of 25,000 people, which is not really a city in a lot of people's eyes, but it had that that feel, you know, of a more urban environment. Um, Nevada was similar. I mean, there's the mono, you know, there's um, Las Vegas, which of course, you know, is huge and sprawling, and I would never live there. Um, but Reno had more of that kind of historic character, you know. Um, and then there's very few other significant-sized towns in Nevada, very rural. Not the same kind of rural, more, you know, not agricultural, but very rural and a lot of poverty again. So I seem to pick these states, you know, that have similarities in their in their demographics. I, I've spent many um, Thanksgivings and Christmases and other family holidays mm-hmm. in the Biddeford area. And I would describe the people that I've met as um, very hardworking. Um, they, they have some tenacity to them. Um, at least my the relatives who used to work in the mill, I, I know that there was tenacity there. I know that there were long days and big families and lots of mouths to feed. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm wondering what your, what your sense of the people is. It's, it's an interesting community. I've you know, not been exposed to sort of the Yankee mentality before moving here, which is, I think, one of somewhat reserve um, to begin with. Um, having lived in Nevada, it has more of a, hey, everybody, it's California. That's, you know, we're all smiling and happy and outgoing. And here, I my experience has been one of more reserve at first, at least, until you sort of prove that you're not out to exploit or take anything. And that's been a big challenge, quite honestly. And, you know, it's sort of a, a new concept for Biddeford to have an arts organization in the downtown. Um, historically, there's been a lot of theater and you know, performing arts with vaudeville and whatnot, you know, over the years, but not a huge focus on the visual arts. And, you know, I think the perception of Engine has been, well, why do we need that? You know, and it's um, that'll be an ongoing thing, I think, for anyone really, but for us in particular in the type of town that we're in, to really show the value of what we're doing around community and around education. Why is it called Engine? I I think the reason we called it that is just, you know, the the sort of like startup nature of it, you know, we're going to start something here and we're going to drive it forward and propel the, the creative community, which is our tagline. Um, so it had kind of a mechanical feel to it or a industrial feel a little bit to it. it I didn't think that we needed a name that was sort of conceptual, you know. 
I mean, I guess it is, but everyone can relate to an engine, and it frequently gets used in conversations, and I'm always like, yeah, that's the right name. <laughs> you know, the engine of the economy or whatever it might be. Yeah, and it seems to have almost an industrial feel to it, and thinking about the mills and the and the brick and mm-hmm. sort of the, the drive that was needed to be able to power all of the, the looms. And I, I think that probably there there is something to it that's a little bit grittier than right. perhaps other titles might be. Right, and, and we want to be a continuation of Biddeford's evolution, not disrupt it in a way that makes it into something different. Um, and that's where you can either be successful or not, you know, in how you approach things. And um, what I mean by that, I guess, is that, you know, Biddeford and Saco have always been manufacturing towns. And at, at the height of, you know, their glory, they were the leaders, you know, on the East Coast. And um, what we're trying to do is just sort of reframe that conversation around the idea of making in a different way. Um, and so the you know, the fab lab, the fabrication lab, the 3D printing and the digital fabrication stuff is all meant to empower people to be able to make and not have to, you know, necessarily leave that to someone else, um, especially kids. You know, we're trying to spark the creativity that then leads to innovation and, you know, hopefully they'll go off and do something great, you know, in their lives too and not just think that they have to, you know, settle for something that maybe isn't what they aspire to. When I was speaking to Jane Bianco of the Farnsworth Museum, she she was she mentioned, you know, this idea of creativity as being really anything that you are actually using your brain to kind of wrap itself around. So we think about something like a painting or something like sculpture as being a creative pursuit. But there are lots of other things that you do over the course of a life that can be considered creative. Yeah, I think that's that's the value of the arts in general is that, you know, you see things in a different way and you start to experience other things and you talk to other people and it broadens your horizons and um, it, it helps you create... Um, a better network of people, you know, that might have differing perspectives, and I think that's always healthy. Um, the visualization piece, you know, the the ability to sort of work out problems visually and have an understanding of spatial relationships, I think, is all very valuable. And thinking like an artist, you know, artists are disruptors. They do things that don't always, you know, follow the the mainstream. And being able to think like that creatively, whatever your field might be, if it's an accountant or you know, someone working in food service, whatever it might be, if you can think like an artist and a designer, then it makes you more resourceful in your, whatever your career path is. So how has thinking like an artist influenced your life? I think that what it's done for me is it makes me open to different ideas and relationships. Um, I mean, we all have our biases, right? You know, I could probably list 10 of them that I have, and you try to work through those, but I think what it does is it it sort of, you look at all the options on the table versus like it's got to be that way, you know, because this is what it has been or this is what I've been told. So thinking like a designer, thinking like an artist, you look at all the different options that are available to you, and then you have a conversation with the community or with your peers or whoever it might be that, you know, you're working with, and you work on those together. There's more of a collaborative nature in it, I think. You can't, I mean, artists can exist in a, in a vacuum. They certainly can, and they can do their thing, but the artists that change the world are good at disrupting and collaborating. 
when we were speaking with Bill Seeley from Bates, and he does work with the philosophy of art, he he was mentioning that, and of course I think you know this to be true, I know this to be true anyway, but that people who are artists don't necessarily get recognition for their art until after maybe they've passed <laughs> away or you know, yeah. maybe they are much older. How can we reconcile that so that people aren't waiting for the next Monet to die and then... You know, does, does this make sense? Yeah, like, how it, can we exist as art? How can we encourage people to exist and somehow create art and creating a sustainable livelihood for themselves? Right. That's that. That is the question. How can we do that? Um, I think it's a difficult thing. I think there's a lot of supply in the world of, of there's a lot of art in the world, and you know, a lot of art from you know what you might say is good art to bad art to all kinds of art. Um, there are artists, you know, like I mentioned Lauren earlier, who's definitely on a career tra- trajectory that um, has been quite successful, and I would imagine she would continue on that. Um, but those are kind of far and few, you know, artists that really kind of make it to that that pinnacle. Um, and so I, I guess I would try to reshift the focus from from defining what success is to the individual. So. I think if an artist is practicing and it gives them something, you know, if they get satisfaction or feel more whole because of it, then that's success in my book. If you want to sell your art, that's a different thing. And I, you know, it, it's a whole other world. And sometimes you have to change your art, you know, or look to, to what the market might be looking for. Um, tenacity is important. And so, you know, people get um, sort of demoralized by you know, having a show and nothing sells and, you know, they don't realize commercial success, but, you know, you have to kind of reframe that and think, well, you you know, your work is great. You you put on a good show. Hopefully that's fulfilling to you, you know, for that alone. And just because you don't sell anything doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile, right? I mean, you can go into the creative fields, you can go into graphic design and and more of the applied arts fields if you want to be commercially successful. Um, But, you know, I just, I think it, there's a lot of emphasis on selling work, and I think it's very important. And I think artists can work to be more professional and, you know, present a, a more professional image. But I don't think that's the end all to to being an artist. I would think that if you are thinking like an artist and you're attempting to think disruptively, or even just thinking it, you're not even attempting to think think that way. Just the way that you are looking at the world, and then simultaneously, you're also trying to be commercially successful and trying to shift the way that you work so that you're doing what other people find attractive. I think that would be a very interesting dichotomy to try to live. I think it's a hard one, and and I would encourage people to err on the, not err, but you know, focus on the latter or the the former of just doing what they want to do, and you know, they have to redefine what success is. And if if they want something different, then of course you're going to have to shift and, you know, do something different to support yourself if that's really, you know, what you want to do. But I don't advocate for that. I advocate for people doing what they want to do and being the best at that that they can be. It's within their ability. What would you consider to be some of your biggest successes? I think the fact that we even we've made it five years in in the community that we're in is a success, um, and that we're growing, 
you know, there, there are always challenges. We're a nonprofit. You know, we have all the same challenges that every other nonprofit has in terms of funding and capacity and all that good stuff. But I think one of the greatest successes is um, that we've survived five years um, and that people really know who we are in a short time. You know, I've been a cheerleader and, you know, an advocate for Biddeford for the past nine years. And you start to hear it, you know, when people like you guys call and ask ask me to be interviewed and you know and uh, I was on the stage with the director of the National Endowment for the Arts a couple years ago and to even be considered to be in that role means that we're doing something right you know we're calling attention to a community that needs it um, a, a community that has <clears throat> excuse me been um, sort of you know, they're undervalued, I guess, for lack of a better word. And there's a, still a stigma attached to Biddeford. Um, people are afraid to come downtown, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. It really is. I mean, if you've spent any time there recently, you know, there's all this energy and, you know, different kinds of people walking around on the street. And, um, and I just think it's kind of, you know, overcoming that misconception about what Biddeford is has been my mission for the past nine years. What would you consider to be um, your biggest challenges that that are facing Engine over the next, say, five years? Well, I think, you know, given that our mission and our, our focus has been to help at least downtown Biddeford um, realize economic and community vitality, um, you know, there's always the threat of a housing and real estate boom that will push some of the traditional businesses out of the the way because you know they can't afford to be in that area. I mean, Portland's you know having the same conversations and more so even than we are, you know. And so if you look at um, communities that revitalize themselves either by having had artists in the community or being able to focus on that intentionally as part of revitalization, how do you keep that? You know, in the next five years, I feel like Biddeford's really going to, it's already happening. There's a bit of a um, real estate speculation going on for good reason. Um, it is like the last community on the coast of southern Maine that hasn't really gone off, so to speak. Um, and so I think the threat is, uh, is affordability. And not that Engine can necessarily do much about that, but we own a building and we hope to own other buildings at some point in the future and to make them affordable, you know, so that we can keep the artists and the designers and the creative economy in the community that helped build it. And you're currently working through some renovations. We are. Am I dusty? <laughs> um, we are currently, we're moving out of our um, existing space, the one that we started up in. Uh, and we're moving into a, a second space that's not one that we own. Um, it's about three times bigger and a, a little less expensive, um, and so it'll allow us to stretch out a little bit more, but it's directly across from the building that we were gifted back in 2011, I believe it was, by the Rennie family, and um, that ties the story together, right? <laughs> so we own um, the former Rennie's department store. It's an 18,000-square-foot somewhat dilapidated historic building but it's absolutely beautiful it's got this white marble facade that is so unique to the area and it's a long process i mean it, it's even you know at a nominal amount of money per square foot it's a couple million dollars that we're looking at you know to do this project 
Um, but we're starting, you know, we're picking away at it. And our hope is to occupy that building in the next couple of years, at least in some way, um, and potentially stay in the space across the street and do something slightly different in that space. So, you know, we're, we're trying to occupy Lower Main Street. <laughs> I like it. You're occupying the Lower Main Street, Biddeford, with art. Right. Yeah. Art and creativity and good design, hopefully, and energy activating those spaces so that there are tons of different kinds of people, you know, from kids to grandmothers and grandfathers coming in there and, you know, parts of the community that really need some aspirations and hope. Um, We hope to just make it a big melting pot of creativity. Tammy, how can people find out about Engine? Well, uh, we are all over the web. Um, We have a website, feedtheengine.org, and we're on Facebook. Uh, We tweet every once in a while when I have the energy for it. And uh, you can pretty much walk onto Main Street and say, hey, where's Tammy? (laughs) And someone, if you ask five people, someone will know where I'm at. Well, I encourage people to spend some time in Biddeford, see what's going on down there. There's a lot. I know that that's definitely the case. Um, we've been speaking with Tammy Ackerman, who is the co-founder and executive director of Engine Incorporated, a community arts organization based in Biddeford. I really appreciate all the work you're doing for my uh, my family's hometown. Thank it's uh, great stuff, and I look forward to spending some time down there myself, seeing what's going on. Excellent. I'm a great tour guide. <laughs> Thanks, Tammy. Thank you. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. I've been hearing the name Roxy Sugar uh, probably for about three, four, five years now. And um, it's it always happens that if I hear a person's name enough, they eventually come to be in my life and I get a chance to actually meet them. And this has happened with Roxy Sugar, who is here with us today. 
Roxy Sugar is a designer based in Biddeford, and her collection, Angel Rocks, is an eco-friendly wardrobe crafted and created in the U.S., in fact, Biddeford. Roxy was raised in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and attended the University of Alabama. She honed her skills directing design for collections ranging from high-end designer Vivian Tam to retailers such as Urban Outfitters and Le Chateau. The trademark of Angel Rocks is focused on balance and giving. Roxy directs her business and life with a dedication to making a difference. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me here, Lisa. It's a pleasure. It's really interesting that you... You've ended up in the very um, mills where my family used to create textiles. Uh, the Belisles, we came down from, and the Carrier family came down from Canada and spent time creating textiles. This is a few generations before me. And now you're doing the same sort of creating in a different way. Um, yes, and you're revitalizing uh, an entire industry that I think many Mainers are familiar with. Well, I'm a small part of, I think, of a, a broader revitalization that is happening and a very exciting time um, in our society, in Maine, um, across America, as we're seeing um, these you know, mill towns not be empty buildings anymore, but become thriving uh, parts of the community. And we are so delighted to be there in Biddeford and to be a you know small part of that very exciting revitalization that is happening. And uh, it, it the ma- magnificence of the history and of so many families um, having worked and strived and brought up their families. Um, in that very mill, I mean, we can feel that spirit every day as we're there working and trying to do our little part to bring it forward. Um, it's uh, it's it's quite a gift and a blessing. Now, how did you make it all the way from Alabama? Biddeford. I'm sure nobody's ever asked you that question before, right? Oh, well, it's, uh, as I like to say, has been a wonderful uh, spiral. And basically, uh, my uh, training in Alabama, um, I knew my path would take me to New York, which it did, and uh, spent 18 lovely years there, which was uh, very formative, very instructive, uh, learned a lot, and was able to um, launch Angel Rocks there in addition to as you uh, mentioned, designing for many other lovely firms and also teaching at Parsons. Um, And all of that was just uh, a part of my evolution as not only a designer, but um, in giving back. Um, I adore education. That interaction with the students um, was, uh, you know, as gratifying as each interaction I have with my customers. And and it's just an amazing thing to be here. (laughs) Now, are there a lot of designers that come out of the University of Alabama or from Alabama in general? Well, um, you know, I don't think it's lauded for its, you know, that specific uh, field. But it was a great program that I went to in human environmental sciences. And um, I was uh, very fortunate to um, secure the one scholarship they had specifically for fashion design right out of high school Um, and so to have uh, that early dedication be rewarded in such a way uh, was very gratifying and I chose to go there so I would have sort of that broad university experience and still be close to family um, through that that developmental time of college um, and before I struck out on my own uh, to New York and beyond Um, in New York of course 
returning back to your question of what has brought us to Maine, um, along with all the great things I got to do there, I also uh, met my love and we started our family. And as um, our son started to grow, uh, we wanted to offer him um, much more freedom and a much more holistic life than we felt we could provide for him in New York. And so we had been coming up to Maine and we're very fortunate uh, that my father-in-law uh, had retired to Saco. And so we were frequent visitors um, and uh, put our sights on making our way here as soon as we could. So... <laughs> and you brought your love with you today. I did. I did. Mr. Julian Schlaver, yes. Julian, and, um, your husband, he's sitting over to the side here. He seems like a pretty active part of your organization. Oh, very much a part. In fact, um, you know, I was able to get Angel Rock started and... Um, self-financed and it was really me some beautiful interns along the way and uh, my little guy as an infant going with me to the office every day um, until uh, I got the business to the point that Julian could leave his very nice job in the city to come on board full-time and that um, has been a huge huge catalyst in our growth, in our um, ability to move here and to continue to grow and serve our customers and to um, give back to the community and, and all that we can. Um, and it's been very exciting since we landed here. Um, it was just Julian and I, his dad rolled up his sleeves, jumped right in to help as we landed. And now we find ourselves in this beautiful facility with our beautiful sweet little store up the street, Sugar. And and um, a staff of 10 that are just amazing. I mean, we Maine has fulfilled all of our thoughts and dreams and hopes of what it would be of just full of the most dedicated, hardworking, beautiful, responsive, giving people. And we are so happy now to call it home. How old is your little one now? He's seven now. So how does he feel about all of this? He kind of grew up with this, so he probably didn't know it any other way. He he is such an advocate. He's such a supporter. He's already turned into quite the little marketer. That he has definitely, um, you know, lived breathed it. Uh, we used to joke that the first thing he was going to do out of the womb or when he started to talk was probably a rap demo. Uh, he, he is definitely very much a, a part of um, everything that has happened. But he is also the biggest reason that we have chosen to be here. And that is to have family nearby, to be focused on that, to have um, the time and the space to be with him and to spend um, just joyful moments with not only him, but expanded family that we've already joyfully created here since we've, we've arrived. You said that you received a scholarship with the at the University of Alabama. So this must have meant coming out of high school that you had a strong sense that this was this was the direction you wanted to go in. How how young were you, and how did you know that this is this is what you wanted to be doing? Well, naively, um, by the age of I, I started probably drawing and being gravitating uh, gravitating toward fashion by the age of seven, eight. And my, my grandpa, my grandmother's uh, one in particular taught me how to sew on the sewing machine. Actually, two of them. I had uh, very inspirational grandmothers. And by the time I 
once I knew how to sew, then that was very much my path. I had a little deviation of thinking that I would love to be a ballerina, but um, I gave that up wisely and focused on fashion and have never looked back and have never wanted to do anything else. So it is uh, very exciting to be doing exactly what I dreamed to do. So does it strike you that if you knew this um, when you were seven or eight, then that's about the age that your son is now? that whatever he's thinking right now could be what he does when he grows up? It is very, very amazing to think that, but it makes absolute sense to me. And um, given his, he is just absolutely fascinated with the ocean and the sea and all the creatures in it. And um, he is so smart and intuitive and engaged and it would not surprise me a bit if he doesn't become some kind of marine biologist or very much involved with that and I think that the kernels of our passions can emerge very early but I think that anybody at any time can set a dream for themselves and go down the path to follow it so I was very lucky in having that passion emerged so early and to be so tenacious or stubborn or whatever someone wants to call it to stick to it long enough to see it through. Well, that that is a good point. I mean, I think that there is there's passion for the idea of it, but then actually following through that's that's a lot of work. It, I think anything worthwhile in life and anything that we do is work and um, Every single day is an opportunity to do whatever you can towards your passions, towards your dreams, but also toward others and back to others. It's just some days are going to be easier on that path and and some are not. You know, it's just that's life. It is an up and a down and a back and a forth. And, you know, just because I was tenacious doesn't mean that it has always been easy and that there have not been days when you know the thought of doing anything else wasn't just a little bit appealing you know Um, because that's just the natural course of things well tell me about one of those experiences what was one of those hurdles that you actually had to get over in order to keep moving forward with your dream being in new york um you know during the course of 9-11 and that was right when I had started the business and um, naively and I think you have to have some naive bravado in order to start a business in the first place and so sometimes that that is a a good thing but um, you know I had jumped in very deep very quickly to having retail and everything else and uh, had to very much retract back and um, you know between the probably economic circumstances of that situation um, as well as taking two aggressive steps right away as a small business um, got to enjoy a very wonderful humbling year of you know artist struggling and you know soul searching of can I stick with this and so in those moments when you know I my place of abode was you know an unheated artist loft in Dumbo um, you know I had moments when I just wished I was somebody's you know just tell me what to do give me my pile let me get through it today but um you know, I did go out and do whatever it took to survive and to 
as I like to say, claw my way out of that and rise back up again to um, doing everything I dreamed to do. Um, but, you know, you definitely have those those moments when it, the pasture looks greener somewhere else, even though it probably it's not. And I like how you describe it as a wonderful year, the wonderful year of being the struggling artist. And probably it was more than a year, I'm guessing, but yes. Yeah, well, it took a, a few years to rise out, but within uh, a year, I was back into a, a much better um, living circumstance um, and a, in a proper, very nice studio apartment and a space in which to work and live and start to thrive. So why Angel Rocks? Angel Rocks uh, evolved the symbol for the collection, um, which to me represents balance and um, trying to find that place of peace and bliss, um, and representing um, the balance of essential dichotomies. So uh, whether it's hard, soft, um, light, dark, the skies, the heavens, the earth below. And so all of that is somehow encapsulated in that symbol for me. And so um, Angel Rocks em emerged from actually a girlfriend of mine named Angel um, and I when we would hang out together or go out together, that was sort of a, a nickname or a silliness that um, emerged around us. And it seemed to fit the logo at the time. And so it has been a wonderful, for me, um, exploration and a necessary part of my journey. Um, because I was never necessarily into angels or tapped into that ideal. But what it has led me down the path of is seeing the inherent angel in all of us um, here and now. And that has been an incredible part of the journey, an incredible part of how um, our entire company sees the beautiful women that we work with, that we dress, that we have the joy and the pleasure to add anything to their life that um, equates to comfort and joy. It's, it's uh, an amazing thing. So Angel Rocks uh, emerged as a match for that symbol and that logo um, and has been a wonderful, wonderful um, exploration of spirit for me. Hearing that you might have wanted to once be a ballerina, it, it actually makes a little bit of sense because I, the clothes that you wear are very, they're very flowy, they're very um, soft, but also comfortable, practical. Um, I've tried them on a few times. I'm sorry, I don't own any yet, but um, there is something very nourishing about them, something very soulful. Thank you, thank you. It is. Um a wonder to me and an absolute just beyond comprehension that the love um, and the passion that I feel somehow can translate through these tiny bits of cloth. Certainly the spirit of dance, certainly the spirit of adventure, the spirit of comforting um, and uh, just being confident to traverse through your days, doing whatever needs to be done, and at all times, um, the freedom to move and to express yourself um, in any way that, that you feel uh, inspired to do. And giving back is very important to you. I know that um, I first learned of your collection 
when I was doing a fashion show with Anne Veronica, and I think it was to benefit Preble Street. Mm-hmm. So I believe that that was that was that connection. But you've also done your own um, work to benefit the community. Well, um, giving back is one of my core motivators for success. And um, from the very start, uh, we named uh, the corporation, or I named the corporation, um, Be Peachy, as in be happy, be kind. And it's also an homage to one of those dear grandmothers uh, whose name was Betty Peachy. And, And the idea and spirit was that we would be able to get to the point that we could increasingly give back. And I have always along the way um, been involved with any kind of charitable event, um, you know, donating time, uh, product, whatever we can to a vast array of an amazing organizations. And since we've been here in Maine, um, it has been so wonderful to really focus those efforts um, most directly on our local community and the to be able to see the impact of that uh, has been exceedingly rewarding. Um, we are very much about uh, trying to do for others and give back all we can. And so part of that is um, a nice portion of our actual sales from sugar each month are donated to a local charity. And that has allowed us to support everything from, um, of course, food banks like Seeds of Hope to Mustang Rescue, um, you know, trying to care for beautiful um, horses and animals to um, Bicycle Race, the Women's Coalition Bicycle Race that is coming up uh, this week and celebrating women and their empowerment and their health. Um, for me, I've, and for us, us, we it's been hard to pick one charity or one cause to give back to because we feel so strongly that uh, whether it's humanitarian, uh, whether it's environmental, um, whether it is community oriented, that they're all worthy. And so um, we are very much enjoying this, you know, giving back to um, all that we can uh, from a little epicenter and then hopefully be able to grow that over time. Um, and then we were so excited um, last year to organize the Biddeford Ball, um, which we planned this year again. And it was just such an incredible coming together of the community and incredible outreach and um, was able to raise wonderful, wonderful funds, both for those in need as well as um, further development um, of Biddeford and its community and its revitalization. This idea of balance for you, how does it manifest itself in your business and in your life? The everyday seeking of it um, is always a wondrous, humbling thing. And um, you find it in little tiny snippets along the way. Um, You know, finding, taking that day where I go ahead and I leave the office a little bit early and pick up our son and spend some time with him or go on a walk with him. Um, The times that we, you know, sneak out and sit down to lunch and have a moment together, Um, you know, moments of just stopping and taking a great big deep breath and a great big stretch and just looking out the window and seeing the blue sky maybe not today but that's okay um seeing the beautiful raindrops that are feeding the plants you know just stopping to look at things and say oh my gosh this is so beautiful and i am so thankful i'm here and i think that's the biggest way that um i find my balance is by 
digging into my well of gratitude. And sometimes it is so humbling that, you know, it can almost bring you to your knees, um, that this life is so beautiful and it is such a gift. How much of your, um, I guess, your life space is devoted to design versus creation versus um, sort of more administrative logistical tasks? I mean, are you able to continue to find the space you need to design and create? That is always um, a challenge. Uh, as you build a business, you increasingly find yourself engaged um much more in the administrative, in the marketing. Um, for us right now, in the growth of Angel Rocks, there's an exceeding amount of travel that's involved. Um, and so I would love more time to do what I really, what my heart's passion is, which is create and design. But every single day and all of those activities um, inherently have creativity in them. Um, every interaction I have with um, an individual, whether it's a customer, whether it's a buyer for a store, um, whether it is our employees, um, there is passion and creative um, expression that you have to put into that of how, you know, just you, you have to see the creativity that exists in every aspect that you do. Um, I find the best times for me to be wholly creative are if I can snag like a late night at the office by myself or, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. The, to say the least. But, um, you know, you just have to go through each day and find those little snippets when you can and see um, how much creative outlet there is all around you and not just limit it to one aspect of what you do. What inspires the designs for your clothing line? The women that I dress. Um Increasingly, as my collection has evolved, um, it is about listening to them. Uh, what are they looking for? What do they need? Um, what is the silhouette that is going to best flatter them, um, give them the fluidity to go from you know their wellness activities back to work, maybe out to dinner um, as they travel to give them increased range to um, make it through any event that they want. And so I really do listen to the customer at this point. And as I evolve the collection, it's um, very much that I have heard customers say, oh, they would love to kind of see this, see that. And then, of course, I have to add, you know, the obsessive attention to the curve and the shape and where it's going to hit and what kind of um, needs it's going to fulfill to know if it's going to be a right thing to adopt into the collection as it grows. You have a store in Biddeford and you also have other locations that carry Angel Rocks. Yes. Tell me some of those. Um, well, we are just, you know, completely thankful to be carried um in over 200 boutiques across the country. Um, here in the state of Maine, I we have 
many, many beautiful ones, and I don't want to risk leaving any of the gorgeous ones out. So um, I might like to say that the best thing to do is to visit angelrocks.com where we have a store locator so that individuals can see um, which is the closest store to their area uh, because we do have some beautiful ones. We have a gorgeous one here in Portland. Um, I, I, I have call out just one of Jen Burrell who's also a gorgeous jewelry designer wearing one of her rings right now um, and but just all up and down the coast we are just honored thankful and delighted that um, stores are doing very well with Angel Rocks and that the customers are loving the products so um, very thankful for that. So if you're in Portland, you can go to that store. If you're in Biddeford, you can go to the Sugar, Sugar Store. Yes. And if you're not, you can go to the store locator, which is on angelrocks.com. Yes, that is correct. And, and anything exciting coming up in your future? Oh, goodness. It seems like every day is exciting. I, I just got back this weekend from a be two beautiful trunk shows, one at Kripalu, which is um, a yoga training center in Western Mass, and then um, another beautiful event in um, Saratoga Springs. Um, we are very excited to actually uh, get to be here in Maine for two or three weeks uh, consecutively, which will be amazing. Um, then, um, you know, we have... Uh, just wonderful journeys that we're taking all throughout the summer and the year. And, of course, very excited for the Biddeford Ball, which um, is slated for October 3rd in Biddeford. And so uh, we're all gearing up our momentum toward that and uh, the celebration that will be for the community and all the good things there. Those of you who are listening, I urge you to go to angelrocks.com or to one of the locations and to try on, to experience the beautiful clothing that Roxy Sugar and, and her husband and, and their team of angels are all creating coming out of the Biddeford Mills. We've been speaking with Roxy Sugar, who is a designer based in Biddeford, uh, working with her collection Angel Rocks. Um, it's really been quite a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank Likewise, you. Thank you too, Lisa. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio. Show number 201, Milltown Creativity. Our guests have included Tammy Ackerman and Roxy Sugar. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Milltown Creativity Show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, Mac Page, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. Love, Maine Radio is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our content producer is Kelly Clinton. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See www.lovemainradio.com 
or the Love Main Radio Facebook page for details.